Well done, sailor. Did everyone see that? Because I will not be doing it again. excited yeah excited to be back oh my gosh it's been so long it's been a certain amount of time that I'm not, I'm not sure of uh, yes <laughs> yes but it's been approximately um six no five podcast episodes has it i think i think you're right i think that's right this would be better if we prepared this but whatever yeah. we have returned we've we returned to the beginning of our story yes full circle baby Back to the original, by which we mean the most recent, Pirates. (laughs) So we've done uh, Pirates 1 through 3, Pirates of the Caribbean, and we're like, we're good. We need a break. We're going to move on to some other piratey movies. But we always had the intention of coming back, you guys, because this is like a second trilogy that's not a trilogy, and I don't know if they're ever going to make a sixth one, but we figured we might as well hit up four and five i don't know if i mean four and five aren't that connected anyway that's true but like it's something we will talk about of how they they did like a mini reboot with this one with the intention Mm -hmm. of like we're gonna do like a spin-off trilogy with other fun adventures so that's what we're here to talk about today i remember the announcement like they they announced four and five together at some point yeah they were like we're gonna make two more pirates movies soon and i guess this was you know, sometime after 2007, yeah. probably like 2008 or 9 or yeah, something. Yeah, I remember like 2008 or 9, they announced that they were like, they had the intentions of doing another trilogy and that um, Orlando Bloom and Keira Knightley weren't going to come along mm-hmm. on this ride, which is okay. Yeah, yeah, they're like, just, just, just Jack, Jack, but we're doing more. Yeah. And I am going to check on the dates here. But my initial understanding when they announced that was, it sounded like they were saying, um, yeah, we're going to make two, you know, pretty quick. Like, we're ready to line them up, mm-hmm. you know, get pirates back It's so weird that they're going. like, we have two lined up after doing three. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought assume it was always going to be like a contracts trilogy. and things. They yeah. probably just got well, Johnny, I, I like, do... I'm going to do two more. Um, that's probably what it was. But uh, I do believe what happened is they started writing the script for this one, and then the writer's strike of 2007, 2008 hit. So they had to pause and then pick it back up. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, looking at it, uh, this one that we're doing, On Stranger Tides, yeah. came out in 2011. Yes. And then the fifth one came out in 2017. Yeah. So six years apart, which was definitely, I'm not, quite sure, not, the not what they were planning yet. Yeah. Um, and, and made it weirder. I don't know if, you know, they wanted four to come out in 2010 and maybe have five come out in 2012 or something like that. But I'm guessing that if they had done that, Pirates would have been much more like, I mean, they were still successful, but... Uh, Four and five, definitely. Five, obviously, to a larger extent. I feel like they're kind of from a world that has already moved on. Yes. <laughs> um, and they probably wouldn't have been if they had managed to make them as fast as they actually wanted to make them. Agreed. Yeah, so we're, we're talking about the fourth installment today, if it wasn't already obvious. And mm-hmm. uh, it's, a, it's a bit of an oddball, I think, in the whole series. Um, so I guess we can start with the, the general comments that we always do. So yeah. when did you first hear about the movie? Do you remember the first time you saw it? 
Do you remember your initial thoughts, and how do you feel about it now? I heard about it in that announcement we were talking about. Mm. I did not see it in theaters. Um, really? I didn't know that. I saw it one time uh-huh. about three years ago. Okay. With you yes, and a few other did. people, but I didn't really watch it for various reasons. <laughs> petty, petty reasons. I was not paying attention. So, pretty much this was the first time I re- really saw it. I remembered some of the um, images or the settings, mm-hmm. but none of the plot really or the characters or anything like that. Um, yeah, I, I don't know why I didn't see it in the theater. I think it was more about a general disinterest mm. in the series because I already talked about how. I didn't, I don't, I'm not sure if I saw three in the theater, and if I did, I don't remember, because for some reason, while I was really into it around the time of two, by the time one year passed, <laughs> I was already kind of like, That's all eh. you needed, one year. I didn't, I didn't really see a lot of movies in the theater back then, um, so I did see the third one eventually, but I didn't rush to do it, and then the fourth one was four years later, and I just, um, even though I loved Jack Sparrow, I think the whole idea of only having him it was not interesting to me, basically. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I'm trying to... It's so weird because I feel like the fourth Pirates is just more of a blimp on my radar in terms of the whole franchise, just because it's the one that I, I don't have a very strong impression of. I do know that I saw it in theaters. I do know I was like tentatively excited about it because while I liked the original trilogy a lot, I was curious to see what they are going to do. I remember being, like, a little sad when they had announced, but not surprised that, like, Will and Elizabeth weren't going to return. And you're like, that's totally fair. Like, as they put it, they're like, their story's kind of over. So it was this weird mix of, like, I'm excited to see what they do, but also there was a little bit of a hesitance to be like, do they need to keep making more? And the business answer is yes, because it keeps making money. I think that's probably why I didn't want to see it. Yeah. Um, It felt like, obviously, the right choice to not bring them back because, uh... They had a story that was already over, basically. Yeah. And, you know, has a pretty poetic ending anyway that doesn't really lend itself to just kicking it back up with another one. Right. Um, so I was like, well, there's nothing wrong with the idea of just doing Jack because it probably should just be. But I think it kind of felt like their story is the series. So yeah. why would I even bother? I think it's not so much that. I think the we've talked about this before in our previous Pirates of the Caribbean podcast, but the, the, uh, for our, us personally, or at least for me, I find that Jack works best when he is not the center of attention. And unfortunately that hasn't really been a thing since, you know, honestly the first one. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to go from like, Oh yeah, he, he was the character that popped the most in the first one and is now like this big iconic, you know, 21st century film character and as the trilogy the first original trilogy progressed they're going to obviously give him more and more material but then to you know start up and reboot and be like all right we're doing like a couple more of these and Will and Elizabeth aren't going to be in it you're like oh it's going to just all be Jack now and that is good in a sense like you said because their story's over but it is tricky because it's like their story is kind of what more or less grounds some of the more eccentric like things that go on Mm -hmm. and so who do you introduce into Jack's orbit to help ground it a little bit more because if it's just focused on him he kind of loses that you know crazy like a fox charm and some of his eccentricities might start to feel 
a little overdone. Mm -hmm. So I was like really curious going in being like, oh, I'm I'm really excited for a new pirate adventure. I think like I was really excited that Penelope Cruz was going to be in it because it was like a mini reunion for them because they had done the movie Blow together. So like they got a lot of good people for it. Like it's a very good cast. And you're like, oh, I'm excited to see what they do. And I cannot tell you anything specific about the movie that I remember. I just know I saw it in theaters and was like, that was a movie. Um, you know, and that was fun. And I think, from what I can vaguely remember of initial reactions of seeing it, I remember I liked it because it wasn't bloated, convoluted story. Um, they and they even say this when they were like they had wrapped three and then were like we're gonna do a fourth one and it's kind of like a mini reboot standalone adventure series kind of you know like a James Bond movie where it's like you don't need to see this movie or all the previous movies to understand what's going on in this one it's like a self-contained adventure and we're gonna introduce new characters to the world and that'll be really fun um but like going off of that they're like we're gonna pare back the budget we're gonna like pare back the story and we're gonna try and make it as clear as possible what's going on and i think after coming off of the the craziness of two and three you're like oh i really appreciate that but in hindsight you kind of get mixed results you can be like Mm -hmm. oh yeah it's pretty it's pretty straightforward but like it just doesn't have that pacing you know that you really like not to say that it's slow or anything but you're just like there's there's not as much like momentum between each scenes um and it is pretty clear what's going on but as a result like there's not as much nuance to some of it um it's pretty straight straightforward like there there are no twists that were ever going to happen that i was like oh my god i am shocked i think the approach worked for some people yeah i don't see it as much anymore but around when it came out i definitely remember people some people saying that this is the best one since the first one you yeah know, people that were like second and third way too convoluted for them yeah and all that and, and this is more the kind of thing that this series should be i think that that is faded because the fifth one um came out and i don't think took exactly the same approach didn't take the same approach exactly as the first few either yeah so it kind of perhaps put a bad taste in the mouth of some of those people who were thinking like oh this is this is the right track for this series right it's like it took six years to make another one and then it wasn't even like the fourth one really yeah but um there are definitely some people that feel that way still yeah. I, I know i do feel like the fourth one is the odd man out and we'll we'll go through like the roster of returning people just in front of the camera and behind it but like if you look at the series as a whole five movies so far you never know when they're gonna do a sixth one Um, This is the only series where they introduce new characters, and that's not to say all of the characters survive, but the ones that do, we never hear from again and are never referenced again. And in all honesty, their storylines are kind of like vague, loose threads where it's open to bring them back, they just were never brought back for five. So it's kind of like this weird experiment of being like, we're going to have new cast, we're going to have a new director, you know, we've got a lot of the same returning people. Rob marshall rob marshall directed this one this is the first one that gore verbinski didn't direct director of chicago oh yes and memoirs of a geisha and nine and all the all the crazy like big musicals and odd choice to be honest but but they mean you know he seems pretty competent so so they got him as a newbie and then they brought back the screenwriters 
Um, they brought back, obviously, Jerry Brockheimer as the producer. They got Johnny back. They got Master Gibbs back. Barbosa is back. Hmm. You've got uh, a couple of the British Royal Navy uh, standouts from the, the first one. Yeah. Um, Gillette, and I can't remember the other lieutenant. They show up again. They're kind of hanging out with Barbosa. And I believe that's it. It's an interesting mix of sort of trying to bring back familiar faces. Yes. But also not. It makes you wonder how some decisions were made, if some decisions were what they planned, or if mm-hmm. it was just based on who wanted to come back. I mean, I, w- I was thinking watching this that um, the character that, that Stephen Graham plays, whose yes. name is Scrum? Yes. Yes. Who I, I quite enjoy mostly because I just like him. Uh, but essentially, his, you know, his role is he's playing the, the Pintel and Rigetti, that's their names, yes. right? He's just doing their thing, you know, to a more grounded degree, I guess. Yeah. And it makes you wonder, like, if they're going to bring Barbosa back and Gibbs back and whatever, like, why not them? You know, why sort yeah. of find a replacement? And and I figure maybe they didn't want to. Maybe they thought I actually read up on overdone this. it. Oh, you know the I answer. I do know the answer. And this is just very brief, lazy research. So mm-hmm. I'm sure everybody could deep dive into this more than we are right now in the podcast. But what it boils down to is um, there were thoughts to bring back uh, Rigetti and Pintel. Mm-hmm. And then Rob Marshall was like, the scenes that we have for them are probably going to get cut, so we might as well not bring them back, just oh. based of what I'm looking at in the script. Yeah. And then to go off of the the scrum character, um, Johnny Depp had a pretty big hand in this, and like the production design, helping to develop the characters and the story. Mm-hmm. He worked very closely with the writers and the producers on this one, and um, he suggested the actor scrum. Oh because he had worked with him on, on Public Enemies and he really liked him, so he wanted to bring him in. And that happens a lot with um, the London sequence. Like, Judy Dent shows up, like a bunch of really famous yeah, actors, yeah. like British actors show up, and that's mainly, I think, obviously I'm sure there are lots of other people involved in this, but I, I did read up on like how Johnny Depp was like, oh, I'm really excited to work with them. Well, so they made an effort to like bring them in. There's certainly an understanding that it's it's good for Jack to play off someone, and obviously he can play off like Barbosa, but Barbosa's pretty ridiculous too. So I guess they, you know, I think their smartest move was casting Penelope Cruz mm-hmm. in this one. Um, just and and also like she's like, also pretty pretty straight laced, I guess. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because in terms of the cast, of who's replacing who? Yeah. I mean, you kind of have, I think they were trying to go for, like, a female Jack Sparrow, someone who could actually, like, go to toe with him and actually be as, quote-unquote, like, clever and shady and backstabbing as him. And so they're like, oh, we're going to bring on Penelope. And she, I mean, it's built into the story that, like, the running joke is, like, he corrupted her and, like, you know, showed her some piratey ways and, like, Mm -hmm. set her on the path she is on now. And she's literally impersonating him when we meet. Yeah. And and like she's set up to be just as clever as him and and probably like the closest person he would ever get to actually being like a legit romantic love interest for because they are equals. And so it's funny to like have her in that position of like Jack's gain like a legit love interest, but they don't really, you know, go for it. But at the same time, she's kind of filling the position of like a word down Barbosa, because she's not a straight-up antagonist, but she's definitely like double-crossing him and using him and taking advantage of him and and you know put him in, in positions where he's forced to go on the adventure, um, which is funny because like Barbosa's in the movie, but they're separated for a pretty long time. Um, yeah, yeah. And then you know you have Blackbeard, White Ian McShane, 
and he's an interesting dude because <laughs> we were talking about this when we watched it. I, it's 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 very different um, from the previous movies. Like we said, it is very pared down, kind of like mm-hmm. back to basics. But it feels like a little bit more grounded, except the one character that you think would be the most grounded because he is an actual historical character is like the one character they gave mystical like voodoo powers to. Mm-hmm. Which are not really explained. Which are not explained. He's but... just Blackbeard, so he's like been some places and knows some stuff, I yeah. guess. Yeah. It's it, it's really interesting because it's like uh, we do have other historical figures like when he goes to London he's like running into like royalty and stuff mm-hmm. and then you also have like the Spanish contingency of like Ponce de Leon and then like the the Spanish king being like we're gonna go like hunt down the Fountain of Youth so like there are historical figures that are being played into it more so than it ever has been in the franchise and yet the biggest one that they spend the most time on the antagonist <laughs> is just like. I have some mystical sword that allows me to, like, you know, really take advantage of that rigging and the mm-hmm. ships and also vines. And also, like, I have a really bitchin' ship that just, you know, shoots fire at people. Like, he's the most, like, mystical of the humans in this movie. It's definitely uh, pared down in terms of the complications of explaining yeah. this exposition and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I think this is where you can really see the difference because... Uh, between the other movies mm. because Blackbeard has those powers but like you said they're just kind of there yeah and everyone just kind of accepts them yeah and um I mean at the end Barbosa gets the sword you know yeah and and he uses it the same way it's like yeah he just has a magic sword whatever mm-hmm. <laughs> and um obviously that's very different from the lengths that are gone to to explain all this stuff in like movies two and three yes and this applies to like so many parts of the movie. I took so many notes here that, that are kind of talking about the same thing, just in different ways. Whether it's the movie itself, like the choreography, the character of Jack, some yeah. of the other characters, it's all been pulled back yes. from the previous movie or two in zaniness and whimsy and stuff. Yeah. And they're trying to ground it more. But also, um, it's it's sort of a... It's a push-pull. It's a, it's a pro and a con is what I would say. For me personally, um, I really like the crazy ideas and things. And I think that they went too far, you know, in 2 and 3 with some of the wackiness, basically. Yeah. But it does make it rather memorable. Mm-hmm. And I think there is some benefits to what they did with this one. But also, as a result, it's, it's a bit flatter. Yeah. In... It's the least memorable to me, and I can't tell if that's just because of my own personal recollection of it, um, or the fact that, you know, it's the one, like, four and five are the one I've seen the least, but, Mm -hmm. like, five I can recall a little bit better, and I'm not sure if that's because I found it less flat or because it's just the most recent. It was also, yeah, like, three years ago, whereas the fourth one is, like, 20 years ago, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's really interesting with Jack. I mean, so much of it revolves around the topic of Jack, I think, and like he is kind of more like his original idea in a way. Yeah. I actually don't think watching this again, I don't think they severely lose the idea of who Jack is through any of these. I think the fifth movie is another story perhaps. Yes. <laughs> but um especially comparing it to that, I really I think they basically understand it even if sometimes they make him too silly. Mm-hmm. Or you know, too complicated and con- double crossing all the time and stuff. Yeah. He he is basically feels like himself and and he, he feels still the feels least like he complicated is complicated in this one. 
And I'm not sure if that's because it's the least convoluted or the it's not as fresh as the first movie. I do think you could probably argue that he feels a bit smarter in this one Agreed. than maybe he did at times in two and three. On the, on the other hand, within the actual plot in two and three, he does do a lot of like double crossing, double crossing, which is clever. But there are more moments where it feels like you know he survives in sheer luck and he doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah. Whereas in this one, it does actually feel like most of the time when he's one on one with someone or anything like that, like he has an idea of what he's doing, I guess. Yeah. And I do think that's nice to see. Then there's a weird thing where, as a result of that, in two and three, you might be thinking, okay, there's a little too much of this guy now. Mm-hmm. But actually, like because he's more grounded in this one, you're kind of like. There could be more, actually. Yeah. Um, it wouldn't be so bad because he's less full on. So actually, now in the fourth one, when he isn't there, you're kind of like, we could actually use him, maybe. Yeah, he could kind of jazz it up, up a little bit. And yeah. I think that kind of pivots to the point that I wanted to make, which is basically, like, obviously it's a little bit more bare bones with who they brought back. I did forget to mention that Keith, Keith Richards is back. <laughs> Of course. Very briefly. Why would you not bring him back? But it counts. It counts. Um, just for like a scene. But Jack still has a father. Jack still has a father. I know everybody was worried about that. There's someone to come home to. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, in, in terms of introducing new characters, I think this movie does a really nice job of making a case for why Will and Elizabeth work is because the, the, the new quote-unquote couple that would be basically filling in their shoes as like we're the new star-crossed lovers in this series um are not memorable mm-hmm. and that i don't know if that is because of where they are placed and introduced in the story and or how much little time we spend with them but they feel very one note and i think that's just a, a kind of a, a fallout to the fact that it is focused on jack and i appreciate that it's focused on jack and not them because like I said they're boring, but I can't make up my mind if they're boring because we just don't spend enough time with them. But they feel a lot of the characters that we have um, who are new do feel a little bit more underdeveloped versions Mm -hmm. of people from previous iterations. They feel a bit like an afterthought. Yes, like, oh, we have to include the breeding pair in this one. I mean, they want to have a story like that to contrast Jack, but at the same time, part of the reason it works in the first three it's because the about them. yeah, it's because they're actually the main thing, and he's sort of the sly the side, side thing. Because as soon as that story is not the main thing, it's like, well, why is it even here? Almost. Yeah. And I don't think it's all useless, but they definitely just don't spend that much time on it. Not and at I, all. I noted to you the odd thing I noticed where just like almost all of their scenes are just with each other yeah like there are very few parts where either character really interacts has a conversation with literally anyone else anyone else yeah. i can't even think of like you know there's barely any with jack himself um there's more with blackbeard at times um they feel essential the bare minimum of, of essential in terms of plot we're trying to get a mermaid tier that's literally it that's why they're there and so yeah. they've built kind of like this this very thin love story around it in order to generate a tear, a literal tear. But like, it's just weird because like they, they serve that plot and yet they have no interaction with any other characters that don't deal with that plot. Yeah. And it's weird because it, it does, it feels a little bit more, um, 
they're not interested in anything that's going on with no, Jack, no, not at and all. he's not really doing anything with them. Um, they're just both happening in the same place at the same yeah. time. They're also very serious. Yes. Um, I mean, we've got a missionary. I guys. realize <laughs> that the the narrative that is usually portrayed of the other movies is that you know Jack is the outrageous one, and yeah. Will and Elizabeth are like the straight men and women. Yes. But <laughs> Elizabeth, um, who is in fact a woman. Yeah. Uh, it's not exactly true it's true in relative terms but it's also true that they're pretty funny because partially the movie makes fun of them a lot for being serious yes and but also the movie is designed where they have a little bit more i mean arguably a lot more agency than these two mm. characters like they're actually making decisions that have effect whether it's we're laughing at them because of something they've done or we're invested in them because they've made a choice that is putting people in danger well, there, there's value in doing it sincerely and just having part of your story be more sincere. But the value comes more from the contrast, uh, you know, from Jack making fun of Will's uh, tenacity mm-hmm. Obsession in the with first Elizabeth. movie. Yeah, yeah. And, and all the others, really. And um, since they don't really communicate or interact much yeah. it doesn't really matter that a sincere thing is happening over here and a crazy thing is happening over here because they're not connected you're just anyway. switching back and forth they're not actually yeah. intertwined yeah 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 and most noticeably as you pointed out to me before i had actually witnessed it um they just have a final scene and disappear from the movie yep uh that like the bear does the bare minimum job to try to tie things up where um she, she takes back, him away yeah. and like I guess she she saves him or something yes. under the water and maybe he becomes a merman I don't know I don't maybe know. it's a Who shape knows? of water situation ending. well basically the the thing that you mentioned is that they don't really go into like deep heavy exposition mm-hmm. in terms of the supernatural elements when you're talking about Blackbeard but when it comes to the mermaids they give you a little bit more exposition but it is still just the bare minimum to understand the mechanics of it and mm. so if we're if we're understanding what they say is true because this is you know sailors telling a tale about mermaids then if, if a mermaid kisses a sailor he can like breathe underwater all right and so some i remember when i first saw the movie in theaters it's like the one thing i remember is i was a little confused because like <laughs> is he dead i'm like is he dead did she like drown him as like you know penance as like not so much that but of like you know like a mercy killing because he was (laughs) dying and then i was like no no no, wait i think it's because she's kissed him underwater and so now he can like survive underwater so she could probably keep him alive long enough to like help treat his wounds but the reality is is it's never really full-on explained it kind of gets swept aside and the reality is is like "Eh, i don't really care (laughs) i mean the movie takes a very abrupt turn and basically says Right, um, that's over. Yes. We all know why you're really here. Here's some nice, Here's you know, some more Jack. really quite yeah. satisfying wrap-up scenes of, like, Barbosa and Jack that are very nice, but you're like, wait, I thought there was another story happening. And they're like, don't forget about that. <laughs> Never happened. Right. There was no mermaid. <laughs> it's only Jack. That being said, I think we've both discussed how our favorite sequence in the movie that I think you you phrase it as you're like this just feels like a completely different movie is the mermaid attack. Oh, it was so good. It's so good. Um, I mean that ties into uh, what I was saying about things being flatter and and for example in the opening scene in in London, there was all this Jack chasing and running stuff happening and it was it was pretty fun but I just felt like for some reason all the pieces are here, doesn't have the same life. 
yeah. that a lot of action energy, has. Yeah. Uh, it does feel like, I mean, this is the point where I, I'll just say, who knows who to credit, you know, whether this stuff comes down to heavily to the director or if it has something to do with editing, choreographers and yeah. editors and stuff like that. But just from the perspective of someone who wasn't there in the room, mm. it seems like um, Gore Verbinski, in whatever capacity he works, is really good in making these action scenes sing. Mm-hmm. It's the strength of his. And they're basically trying to do it the same way he would do it, um, but they're not him. And so it kind of feels like people thinking, what does the Pirates of the Caribbean action scene look like? This. Let's do it. And they certainly come up with fun ideas. But for some reason, the actual pace of it is not quite there. I'm trying to think of reasons that could be. On one level, I think, you know, hey, in the first movie, when Jack, like, initially runs away, you know, tries to kidnap Elizabeth, then he runs from the other pirates and stuff like that. Along the way, there's, like, an interaction with Elizabeth. There's, like, commentary from Norrington and the other people. There's also, you know gets in there with Will and he becomes part of it. Um, all of that definitely adds to the pacing. Uh, in this, you're just seeing Jack, you know, run from and encounter a series of random people. I think that that's an element, but essentially it just doesn't um, feels exciting. Uh, there's also probably a sense that we just know it's fine, you know? Not only do we know that Jack's not going to die, I mean, that's a given, yeah. but like, we know that this is the beginning of the movie, you know, he's got to go do some stuff. It's not like they're going to capture him right now or anything like that. So you just feel the weight of, this is an action sequence that only exists to open the movie with an action sequence. Yeah, it feels, I think we've talked about this too, is like the, the great thing about the original movie is you have these set pieces that are so memorable, and yet you're like... They just they just bleed so seamlessly into the next one mm-hmm. because there's a logic behind it. So like if you if you think about it, we discussed this before. Like Elizabeth dropping into the water at the very beginning of Pirates, the first one, and then Johnny Depp rescuing her, yeah. pulling her out of the water, and then he has to escape. And so he does that big swinging thing around Port Royal. He zip lines down and he hides in like a blacksmith. Uh, and shop, he meets Will. And he meets Will, yeah. and there's a sword fight. So there's, like, a logic to point A to point B to point C. Is like, this happened, which led to this, which then led to this. Well, compared to the and second and third movies... not the case as much in the second and third, and I think less so, especially in the opening yeah. for the fourth. Well, compared to those two, I mean, this movie is actually a rather focused movie. Yes. Um, it, it spends pretty much all its time on, you know, the one villain, Yep. the one objective... Yeah. Um. Not that much in the way. There's only one part that doesn't, and it's the opening. And the opening uh, of the movie in London is fun, but it, it essentially feels, you know, like the cannibal scene in two or something. It, Someone thought this is a new setting for Jack Sparrow. Like that's true. That's a fun thing to do, but mm-hmm. it's probably better if you come up with a reason for it to happen. Exactly. Uh, which you don't really have. I mean, the you're gonna have to help me with this one. Yes. <laughs> the third movie ends. Um. Jack. Jack just has. Um. So Jack who, and Gibbs... Who is where? Okay. So from what I can remember, because I was thinking about this earlier today, um, because I always think it's really important to track where the Black Pearl is and who has, who has ownership it? at this point. Because um, that's something that, for some reason, just feels like a really fun and, and important thing to track in the series. Mm-hmm. So if we end off with the third one, um, Jack is at Port Royal, and uh, Gibbs is passed out drunk on the docks mm-hmm. with the pigs... And they both look up and realize that Barbosa has stolen the pearl. 
Yeah. And Barbosa unrolls the chart and it was like, guys, the Fountain of Youth. Basically a mini, like, trailer for the next movie. But just Jack and he also opens has, it up and yeah. realizes that there's been a big hole cut out because Jack kept the chart. And so Jack goes sailing off in a dinghy, doesn't have the pearl. This yeah. one opens up where he's in London and uh, also basically going after the Fountain of Youth. We don't know where, where the pearl is until it's revealed on... Uh, Blackbeard ship, Queen Anne's Revenge, that he has a bunch of ships that yeah. whenever he captures them, he does some magic and they get stuck in a bottle. Which I do think is a, is a fun reveal, especially because I couldn't remember that. Yeah. And um, it, it is I a mean, nice it, it basically tracks, yeah. right, with yeah. the third one. But it still feels a bit odd because, like, there's a question of what is happening here at the beginning. Yes. Like, why exactly is Jack actually... In London? Here? Like, is he there for Gibbs? <laughs> like, I don't they, they end up sort and of... I just watch this. <laughs> I mean, it happens. You know, they yeah. end up meeting up and all that. But it kind of skates over the question of, like, how did this situation come to be? Why exactly yes. is he, you know, dressed up as a judge? What is the What was the original objective of him coming here, basically? Yeah, I think it's it's less on a, a plot mechanic and more of, like, what's a new fun way to introduce... Yeah reintroduce Jack to the audience. I mean, they basically didn't want to deal with that, I think. Yeah. They had the setup from the end of the third one, but they thought it'll be easier just to sort of wipe the slate clean and be like, Fountain of Youth, that's yes. the only thing you need to know. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. But getting it all back to what you were saying originally is the idea that um I felt that in the London sequence. And then essentially to an extent for... I think about an hour of the movie. I'm mm. just like, none of this strikes me as bad, but almost none of it has the energy of the best sequences in the other movies. Exactly. And then suddenly this mermaid scene hits. And you're like, and it's like it didn't have to hit great. so hard, guys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, when I already thought it was good when they, um, you know, were just over the water and it was kind of creepy. Yeah. But, like, then they actually attack, and it's genuinely <laughs> thrilling. unsettling and thrilling. Yeah. And it feels like it's like a horror movie. Yeah. And I found myself thinking, um, it's like the best music in the movie too. Yeah, by the, and the way. design is really cool. Which, the uh, which is Hans Zimmer. It is Hans Zimmer. I thought Zimmer. it maybe it wasn't back. because it just reuses so much. I thought you know they got someone who was um, using his themes mostly, but yeah. it actually is him. I guess he just was bored. <laughs> um, I mean, it's like three movies in. You're probably it makes sense to rely a lot on your old. Music. It also is interesting because if we're looking at from a music perspective, like you said from just a, an initial takeaway the most interesting thing that happens musically happens during the mermaid sequence and that is arguably like the the mm-hmm. the coolest addition to the movie is the mermaid sequence well i'm and sure that it, the most composers would not say this out loud but they are very likely to uh be more inspired by the more interesting parts of the movie <laughs> yes but also going off of that like what need is there to generate so many if we're going with a soundtrack or a score mm-hmm. that generates themes based on characters which it, this one kind of does um very in a john williams kind of way you're like this is the rousing action score this is jack's thing like this is this thing um you don't have a lot of character moments that really require a rousing score like you mm-hmm. could have a sweet little love theme between philip and the mermaid serena there probably is and there probably is it's just not particularly memorable because mm-hmm. like not to say that that reflects because the scenes aren't memorable but because there's just not that much time spent with them for it to really stick in your head 
Well, some of the music for Will and Elizabeth is, is probably some of the best. Yes. So, you know, he doesn't get to use that anymore. Yes. That hurts a little. It does hurt. It hurts. Um, <laughs> he does reuse a lot of other stuff that's kind of around that. It still works, I think. But yeah. it's kind of like you say, most of the reused stuff is just action music. And yeah. so it works for anything yeah, pretty much. Yeah, they're applying themes that are already there because the character and the most interesting happening on screen has already been established, even though what they're doing is new. Hmm. You can reuse the music for that. But, uh, yeah, the mermaid scene, you know, was great. I also enjoy the shameless uh, bit at the end of that whole sequence where um, where Scrum is uh, just released from a net in the sea and they're like, yeah, we're not going to kill the comedy sidekick. No, just, you can't uh, do it, guys. They just totally it. gloss over it. Yeah. You know, like, oh, you thought he was dead? That doesn't happen. <laughs> He's not. He's here, yeah. But um, I, not remembering the rest of the movie, was actually a little disappointed um, that... You know, the rest of the movie is just about this one sad little vulnerable mermaid. Yes. And there's no more mermaids. Because yeah. I thought that scene was mermaids, so effective please. that, like, it would be good to have the mermaids be, like, an antagonist. You know, yeah, they, they like, maybe they have an investment in the fountain of youth. Maybe they have to encounter them again or something yeah. because they work so well. And, I mean, also, I'm sure that could do wonders for uh, Little Mermaid's plot anyway. Yeah. Because... Like, are her sisters miss her? her? Yeah, Do yeah, they need, yeah. like, some sort of revenge? Like What's going on there? Yeah, and then it is also implied that, like, on a within the universe, like, culturally, the mermaids get killed a lot specifically for their tears. Because we get to a point where they're they're basically trying to wrangle a tear out of her. And they're, they're giving him the ultimate ultimatum of being like, hey, we're going to tie you up in these pools. And basically, mm. you're surrounded by corpses of your own kind. Like, this is not the first time this has happened. And you're like, that's a really interesting element. And yet, it doesn't really... We don't get to know much about it. We don't get anything in either. the third act for it, other than we need the mermaid so she can retrieve the silver chalices and give them back to Jack at the end. I mean, the, the whole the whole focus of her is really just on, you know, it sucks that they have taken her prisoner. Yes. Which is a fair angle, but it, it would be nice to have some, like... You know, how does she feel about humans in general? Yes. <laughs> um, what's going on in her head there? Yes. How does um, she feel about being separated from her sisters? It's, it's like, a weird mix of, like, it makes perfect sense in universe for the character to mostly just be sitting there thinking, like, ah, don't kill me. Yeah. But that's not really very interesting to watch. Yes. Um, Especially when they've already set up something that's really potentially cool and could be used again in a different avenue. Yeah. I think it's just a classic case of not really being able to tell what the best parts of your movie are until it's basically made. I'm sure someone could have watched it and been like, wow, that scene really works. But, like, we already came up with the plot and made most of the movie. Yeah. We can't, like, restructure the whole thing I do find it interesting that, um, so in the third act, you basically have them fighting over the Fountain of Youth, and you have three big players, um, or four. No, three. So you have, like, Jack with um, Penelope and Blackbeard, and they're a little contingency. And then you have Barbosa and the Navy coming after them. And then you finally bring in the third element, which I thought was really cool and, like, visually very striking, is when the Spanish finally arrive. And they're like, what up? We're going to destroy the temple. And you're I like, I do have Damn. a note that says, um, love the Spanish captain. Yeah. How did they get there? I th- well, I think that's <laughs> the thing is, is, like, that's something that kind of got threaded very thinly through yeah. the plot is like when you're following Barbosa with the the navy enjoying his sliced apples and living up life as a peg leg dude which is something I want to get back to in a bit um 
they they all go all hands on deck freaking out because like you see a mini like spanish armada pulling up and they don't give a fuck about them. i mean they're certainly they're there. certainly there my and question following. was more about like literally in the the climactic scene what um are they supposed to be lying in wait already in there or did no. they just come in? Because I think they the just way came it's in. filmed makes it rather confusing because they all kind of come up from underwater. Yes. But the Spanish guys all like walk in from the other side of the room. And I thought, like, were they hiding back there? No, I, I did think not they think also was... come up from the water. It's just kind of framed a little funky. Yeah, I think they could have made it more clear. Yeah. Because, like, you get the idea that this was sort of part of the plan as we know they're coming and they'll probably make it even more complicated. Yes. But. You don't really understand logistics of how that was. Part I think of the there's. Plan. It's interesting because the way it's framed throughout most of the story is they're ahead of everybody. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, it literally opens with the Spanish. Like you have Spanish fishermen pull up a guy from the fishing net, and then that tips off the adventure of being like, you need basically the chalices to get whatever you mm-hmm. need for this big, you know, ceremony to happen. And then the Spanish are like, oh, we got to get there, and so you have them you know you track them because like they're ahead of barbosa you track them because they've already made camp and already stolen the chalices mm. and and so it's so interesting that they're the last to show up um well, it doesn't I, uh, quite make sense but yeah. in terms of like a fun visual effect and like emotional beat of like and here's the third team on the chessboard like if i if i try to track this in my head and remember it uh, i was confused initially because uh jack gets um split up and he goes to look for the chalices he ends up meeting barbosa yes um he comes back and there is some sort of line implying he has a plan of some sort yeah and then you see him meet back up um with where blackbeard is yes i'm back here i am and then when after that the Spanish showed up, my initial thought was, oh, Jack, like, contacted the Spanish and mm-hmm. told them about it. And it's like, I realized, I don't think that is what they're going for. No. And yet, because of some of the scenes they left out and stuff like that, it's, like, a reasonable thing to infer. Yeah. <laughs> and because when they show up, Jack has this um, reaction, like, uh, oh, good. You know, that's, he's probably just thinking, like this will work out for me maybe yes but it kind of plays like just as i planned yeah i think um the way i saw it is like obviously jack has a a good little adventure romp with barbosa and they get the chalices and the plan is basically like i'm going to lead blackbeard and Angelica, who I keep calling Penelope, but Penelope, <laughs> Penelope Cruz's character is named Angelica. I should probably use that correctly. Um, he's like, I'm going to get that whole crew up to the Fountain of Youth and basically get them into a position so Barbosa can show up and take out Blackbeard. Because Barbosa mm. has been very upfront being like, I don't give a fuck about the Fountain of Youth. I just want revenge for my leg and the Black Pearl because he took it from me. And I want to take his ship and take him out. Like, that Mm -hmm. is my fate. And so Jack is like, perfect. You take him out. I can get a chalice. Angelica can get a chalice. This is fucking great. And so, like, in my head, I was like, that's the plan. And because he's he's also very upfront about it when Blackbeard's like, you got the chalice. He's like, I got the chalice. And he's like, the one-legged man's coming up behind us. He's like, oh, yeah, he's on his way. (laughs) Let's get going. And so for me, it's like kind of like an agent of chaos of being like, oh, the plan went well. It's not going as great. Barbosa showed up and everybody's fighting. And now we have a third contender with the Spanish. And I think for Jack, he's like, 
awesome. Like, this will... Basically, we're trying to take out Blackbeard at this yeah. point. Um, I mean, I think to a certain extent this is my fault, but I was confused enough for a second with all that that I connected those wrong dots in my head. That's okay, because it's not um, spelled out. Well, well, I mean, I that's thought, an assumption from me. Because I briefly thought, oh, Jack, like snuck them in here i didn't realize they had just come in yeah. i also thought oh and he was faking not knowing how to get in before because he already did it while he was off screen <laughs> or something like that i mm-hmm. built up this whole thing that within about a minute later i was like, like that's that not true <laughs> it was confusing yeah but um, i do find it interesting that being said in the third act where you have these three players where the spanish has been kind of more or less threatened but like we don't have a very distinct face to it until they actually show up like hey, here's the Spanish captain. And I thought, based off of the discussion we just had about the mermaids, you are literally on a really cool, well-designed set where there are massive pools of water, as evidenced by the fact that, like... Mermaids could be here. Mermaids could be here. So I do find it interesting that they aren't. Uh Um, Just because I feel like it's a missed opportunity because obviously, like, to me at least they had more of an impact when they arrived in the story initially than when the Spanish yeah. arrived in the story. I mean, it certainly could have been part of a plan. I mean, the the ending scene with the mermaid and our guy, yeah. who certainly has a name. Philip. Um, yes. He, uh, it, it could read as they're kind of an afterthought in the script, but it could also read as, like, there was actually a bigger plan here, but we, we, we junked it, basically. It. Yeah. And um, what I was thinking was, well... Basically, as much as they tried to get away from it, I suppose you could still accuse this movie of a bit of convoluted plotting. Because I think, it's and just hard to have, avoid. People have done that. And I think it's it's convoluted, not in the sense of, like, there's just so much going on. It's more of, it's convoluted because not every storyline was probably as developed as it should have been. Mm-hmm. Um, which is very fair. I will say I found it interesting for this movie because like we said this movie is a bit of an outlier if you look at the franchise so far as a whole with five installments Mm -hmm. because it's the only one that spoilers doesn't have will and elizabeth somehow connected to the plot um and it is also the only movie where like jack doesn't have the pearl Mm -hmm. and he isn't actively like chasing the pearl which um well, it's is, like you said, a lot of this movie is on land. So yeah. maybe that's why it was hard to integrate mermaids. Well, that's the thing is, that's the other part is like, there's no, there's no massive on the water ship battles. Mm. Um, there's not a lot of like sailor naval stuff going well, to, on. To circle it to the idea of pirates, I guess. Yes. It's definitely like a different kind of pirate movie. It's more like the treasure islandy thing yeah, where we're like on a treasure are, hunt we're on an yeah, island yeah they're like looking around an island yeah. well i compared it to you know uncharted 4 with the yeah the pirates <laughs> it's it's not um yeah it's not like a ship battle movie no. it's still a pirate movie but it's like a secret hidden goodies pirate yes. movie yeah it's a one-off treasure hunt mm-hmm. escape room basically um which is interesting because that's certainly a way to do a pirate movie we've definitely covered yeah. multiple like pirate films where there aren't ship battles or like the ships just aren't the main focus but it is odd coming in to a new installment in this franchise where there aren't ships because that i mean like literally the first movie in its subtitle is a ship the black pearl and the and then tracking the black pearl throughout the series has always been kind of a fun gag because that's always almost exclusively 
been Jack's drive is I want the ship and I want to be immortal. And usually the ship takes precedence over mm. immortality. And this is the only time I think of the franchise where that's not the case. Where I it's think, like um... he is prizing the fountain of youth over getting the pearl back. Because like the pearl, it's a really cool concept of having a ship in a bottle and it's an actual ship and they have to find a way to break it free. And you would think like that should be the drive. Like, yes, Barbosa mm-hmm. is there, and yes, Blackbeard's there, and Angelica's there, and they're all more or less vying for either Blackbeard's death or to save Blackbeard. But the reality is, is like, once you've done the reveal that the Black Pearl is in a bottle, it is odd to me that Jack is still focused Not... on the Fountain of Youth. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, we'll get to this partly when we do the fifth one, because I don't remember right now. Yeah. But I thought it was a missed opportunity to not end the movie with having Jack like get the ship out yeah. of the bottle and yes. that would be a real maybe they couldn't afford it but I like that would they be a really they did try and keep it the budget down I don't think it worked nice effect shot of like uh, having it you know pop up all mm-hmm. big and him joyously sailing away on it or something yes. instead they just kind of like I have it don't worry yeah but they don't do that and, and the interesting thing is like he's not even the one that retrieves it it's gibbs that gets it and it's off screen it's off screen yeah i went and, and did it for and you. you're just kind of like oh that's cool that's like almost a fun afterthought but the way that the the ship's lore and well, Jack's you think it shouldn't, it shouldn't it, be an afterthought it shouldn't basically. be an afterthought although i will say that i i like i liked that because that was one other part that it sort of explained part of my confusion where jack was like i'm gonna do some stuff yeah and then it was like oh, okay that's where gibbs went basically yes. yeah and I, and I liked that because I guess because I like Gibbs anyway and I'm like glad that the thing he was involved with is actually significant basically yeah <laughs> even if we didn't get to see it yeah um but it, yeah. it is a really interesting note because like there are there are elements that get paired back from the original three and definitely don't appear again in the in the fifth installment not just characters but also like plot devices and and it's interesting to be like, okay, so this is it, bare bones, peeled back. And there are elements that you miss. Like you said, you're like, I wish they had gone a little bit more bombastic and leaned into it. Like, yeah. the fact that Jack doesn't have a ship the entire time. Um, I've you know. complained about characters mainly. I wrote yeah. a lot of those notes down too. It applied to pretty much everyone across the board. I said, you know, there's a few parts where Jack himself could probably be a little more fun but on the whole he kind of works because we've seen his crazier side and it's kind of refreshing to see less of it but on the other hand um i love barboza very much because he is just the most ridiculous pirate caricature of like all of them and um jeffrey rush is loving it but in this one he is less exciting than he has ever been just because it feels like they deliberately clamped down on that and they were like you know you're a serious character with serious goals and i will say that has some payoff because i also wrote down that um there's a scene where jack and barbosa get tied up together and they actually talk about you know barbosa wanting to get revenge it's a really great scene between them i I feel it it really works i feel like that scene is probably even though it doesn't hit the same way it's probably the closest scene we've got compared to the first movie of Jack talking to Elizabeth about the pearl on yeah, the island. I think like that's as close as we will get with this particular scene. And it is a discussion about really the pearl. Nice. I mean I mean there is great benefit to taking Barbosa seriously. Um, yes. not just because those two are good actors together, but like it's it's nice um to see uh it adds the only a different downside layer to their relationship, which is fun. Yeah. 
the only downside I think is that Barbosa is also just one of the most fun characters, and I feel like they they didn't want him to be too fun to the extent that when he got the ship at the end and was really having fun, I I actually thought, oh there he is. You know, yeah, I think Barbosa. it's I think it's um kind of a a catch twenty two because they're like, oh we want to give some some edge to Barbosa, so what are what are we having him do in this movie? Yeah, and what's different about him in this installment than the previous ones? And for instance. Well, he's lost the pearl and lost his leg to Blackbeard. And he's basically joined the Royal Navy as a privateer. Uh-huh. And the Royal Navy's like, oh, perfect. Like, you know, you've been not so much reformed, but you're back on the right side of the law. And we're going to do it to, like, the T. And yeah. Barbosa's all about that. And he's always had it in his character of liking the finer things. So, like, there are elements that are played for fun. Like, you do get the reference back to the apples where he's, like, you know, eating apple slices on the on the ship's deck mm-hmm. and keeps talking about the, the, you know, the Navy and all that stuff. And it's really fun because you're like, oh, this is new. He's, he's certainly not as, like, bombastic and colorful as he was in previous installments. And that doesn't happen until the very end where he just is basically yep. like, I'm back to being a pirate. And I think it works because, it, at least for me, you could read it as this is basically the long con that he's been doing yeah. the whole movie, where he's basically been using the Navy and their resources to get revenge on Blackbeard. And as soon as he does that, he's just going to bounce and go back to what he was before with the Pearl. I think it's another thing that I just like the idea more than the execution. Agreed. Like, it's a great idea. I, but that and... what, I guess that's what makes me love the end scene with yeah, him so much, is because the, I'm like, there you are. The payoff is great. Yeah, um, but, but like, the, was it worth it to yeah, have him like that for so the, long? The trade-off is... Not to be too shallow about it, but I just love to see Barbosa just, you know, yelling ridiculous things all the time. Yeah. I, I mean, he get does that. get to do it a little bit with Blackbeard. And I do, I will say, like, I know we're going to probably talk about it in a different section, but I'll just jump to it now. Like, he is, like, any scene with him and Jack are my favorite scenes in this movie. Yeah. And it's not just because they're the original characters from the original franchise, but, like, there is an energy between them as characters and as actors where you're like, oh, I could just like literally watch a full movie of them just hanging out. Mm -hmm. And whether or not they're hanging out as enemies or friends or anything in between, like I just love these characters too much. I love their interactions. I think it it kind of, regardless of the pacing of some of these scenes, I'm like, they're just, you can't take your eyes off of them when they're on screen together. I mean, they've always been, always been a highlight. Yes. I I guess to to focus on Blackbeard himself, Mm. I, I have a similar issue with Blackbeard, who I think is good and works, and uh, I remember saying I really do like that he feels threatening, partially because... I think the build-up to him is great. Yeah, the build-up is great, too. The fact that you don't get to see him, Jack thinks he's not actually there and all that. And the fact that he, you know, commits some very cruel acts immediately, and and he's not really watered down, you know, he's very, um... I would... He's he's not shown to be fun like a Barbosa, you know, he's sort of like just he has not a, a nice guy yeah he is i think there's comedy in him because he's such a foul human being mm-hmm. is what they're going for like he's they're like i can't believe you did that that's horrible he's like i don't care I like mean, yeah the, the the downside is that you know he's he's not going to do like what jeffrey rush did in the first yeah. one he's not going to do that and on when i think of the idea of like let's have ian mcshane play blackbeard it just sounds like the best thing ever and yeah, it's just kind of good, you know. Yeah. Like it feels like there's so much potential if they let for him, him to just be chewing the scenery in this movie, 
but he just doesn't get to, and that kind of bums you bums out. Me out. I feel like if Barbosa doesn't get to, at least well, someone has to. Blackbeard someone should get with a big hat yeah. has to. Um, I would say for me, thinking about it, this just popped into my head. The way they build up Blackbeard and it actually lands because they do actually let him be like this horribly mm-hmm. violent and vindictive dude who has like no problem murdering people is basically the same build up that they give Hook in the movie Hook. <laughs> Except it doesn't land because he's kind of like this fretting, cuddly knot. Um, I think Hook lands pretty well. No, I'm just saying like the build up that they're doing is like Hook is the worst pirate ever and he's the yeah. you know, the pirate that scares other pirates into line. And then you meet him and you're like, Oh, he's great, like but not in the way that he's been not, built not up. Threatening, and no. he's not threatening. <laughs> and the thing is it's like they they do a very similar thing where like they hold off on showing you Blackbeard in a very similar way and then you have his reveal. It's more consistent. And it's certainly more consistent to what the idea and image of him has been built up to. Like he's literally um, framed in a way where Jack is like, oh, Edward Teach, the pirate that mm-hmm. fe- like all other pirates fear. And then you see him and you're like, yep, that checks out. It wouldn't work as well if it was Hook. Yes, is basically the point I'm making. I mean, making. The, the whole movie just, it does have a much more consistent tone. I, I do think that's partially because the tone applied across the board is sort of do less. Yes. But uh, it does mean that it all fits together pretty well. Yeah. Um, it doesn't feel like, wow, that shouldn't be here. Right. Whether or not that scene is like the most fun scene or the highest of highs mm-hmm. isn't included in that analysis. <laughs> I do like that scene, um, you know, before they reveal that he's actually there and all. But once again, it did make me think of the, the choreography thing where I remember watching it and just thinking like... This it could feels be creepier, like, honestly. Well, when they're all trying to take over the ship. Yeah. It's just kind of like... You know, obviously work was put into it, but it just kind of feels watching it like everyone sort of fight amongst, you know, each other. And at one point, like, Jack kind of climbs up higher on the mast, and that's literally all that happens, though. Yeah. Compared to some of the other pirate stuff, you're like, there's not a lot of... um, Momentum here. An exciting narrative to this this fight thing. You know, it's not like there's a lot of characters doing things. It's just kind of like the necessary thing that has to happen before Blackbeard will then show up. Yeah. And I think that is a, like we said, obviously since we aren't there in the day and there's no way to really distinguish why that's the case in this movie, um, I think I will just say that um, I find that Gore Verbinski and off of that basically horror directors are very good at composing blockbuster action sequences because they're very good with pace and timing and beats that allow you to feel thrills Mm -hmm. and the setups are really good and it's not to say the setups here aren't good it's just the impact isn't as strong because it's not as focused on character well i think the best elements in the movie uh, in that regard are from unique um settings or um elements that aren't present elsewhere like like mermaids yes it's it's cool well, I mean, there's more you could say that's good about that scene, but essentially the reason it is cool is because it is this freaky element that is not present in other yes. scenes, and they really make the most of it. Um, as we will talk about, I am sure, I I was a pretty big fan of like the end bits, too, in the Fountain of Youth room, and but I don't think it has anything to do really with the fight choreography. No. It's just that the setting is good, and I love the, the, the multiple... Um, 
factions are good, yeah. but the the actual you know the meat and potatoes of the fighting it's not really very memorable. It's just that there's enough stakes and tension for you around to be invested it for in it, it to yeah. work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't think you know this movie is even trying to achieve anything like uh, any of those one-on-one yeah. you know fights in the uh, the other. Yeah. Movies. I mean, I think it's safe to say like I I think personally. If you look at it from, like, a studio standpoint, it's a smart move to pair back. You've just spent so much, mm-hmm. like, honestly, at that point, the most money anything had ever been spent on <laughs> to make movies two and three. It's a lot of money. And it's a lot of money. And, like, they did make it back, but they're like, okay, so we need to be a little bit more considerate and, and mindful of, of what we're doing if we do the next one. And we are aware that, like, yeah, things probably got a little bit out of hand in terms of plotting and how convoluted some of the storylines are, so let's pare it back. And it, it's kind of a catch-22 of, like, how much do you pare back and how much do you lean into being a little bit more ambitious on mm-hmm. some of these things? And I think at the end of the day, it's more personal preference. Some people still find the fourth movie too convoluted some people might find it a little too boring comparatively some people might be like yes this is exactly like the the tempo that i want that these movies to be Mm -hmm. played at like there's not too many supernatural elements i mean the big ones are basically like the mermaids and blackbeard and blackbeard zombie like crewmates which aren't really heavily leaned into that much it's like they all get one big sequence to really shine and that's it Mm -hmm. and then the other thing that they're after you know it's the fountain of youth but nobody has like too many crazy discussions about immortality and they do a very good job of constantly reiterating what the ritual entails for its work so it's very clear when it happens yeah i remember there's a certain point where that was being explained i just thought they really want us to they really want to sure know what's going on know it, so yeah. when it comes up we don't have to think about it exactly too much, basically. and so like you appreciate that and i, I think like this movie is <laughs> solid in what it's trying to get done I believe which like if your goal is to like make it less convoluted more straightforward Mm -hmm. and pare down the budget like it achieved that I don't think that's the case for the budget I do I think remember reading it kind of ballooned a little bit like crazy because they were trying to also make it in Mm -hmm. 3D which is insane they really did do the exposition I was just thinking even even at the moment where uh, they actually do the ritual the ritual yeah uh, they have blackbeard's hair likes so is this, this the is, one with this the tear? is the one that will you know yeah cure me and this is the one that yeah. will it's like you understand audience yes we understand what's happening and also we can see it coming a mile away that like jack's gonna switch them i mean i understand because visually it's extremely hard to sell the distinction yeah so you almost have to have characters saying yes. like this is the thing yes. i'm pointing at <laughs> yeah and visually it's a little it's a little like I would say, like, honestly, like, the more exciting thing is, like, we kind of get, like, the the last crusade holy grail moment of, like, okay, how do we make it visually interesting to see somebody drink and somebody else drink, and then basically they get all their lives. And you're like, oh, shit. quite an effect when his face came off. It's quite an effect when his face gets ripped off. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, like, it is hard to sell so the most dramatic thing, like, we're both drinking something at the same time, and it basically looks like water. Like... Mm-hmm. It's a little bit different than, like, in the first one where it's, like, it's a blood ritual. You have to, like, give blood. Like, you have to give something. And the thing that you give in this ritual is your life, and that's a little bit less tangible to show on screen visually. And so they found a fun way to do it. um, I mean, the rules are also... It's kind of presumed this is how it tends to work in these stories. I don't think they actually say this, though. Yeah. That, like, obviously you want to go to the Fountain of Youth to get, like, youth slash immortality. Yeah. 
Um, but they're clearly running on the sort of rules that are usually used in such stories where, like, however, if... Um, it requires a sacrifice. Well, yeah. if the people that are drinking it are, like, already dying slash dead, instead of giving them youth immortality, it just reverses the death, basically. Yes, it keeps them alive. Um, yeah. Which I have seen a lot, so I am used to it, but I bet it, it was confusing to someone because they they don't talk about it, I don't think. Yeah. And, you know, so they just have, oh, you know... Blackbeard is dead, and you get to live. Yeah. And it's like, surely someone is thinking, like, oh, she, you know, she drank the Fountain of Youth. She got what yeah. she wanted. It's like, well, no, she didn't. She got, you know, the half version where you just yeah. don't die. And even that's not explained, because, like, at yeah. the end, you, you have her basically marooned on an island yelling at Jack, which is a very fun sequence. I do quite enjoy it. But it, it's funny because he's like, why should you be upset? Like, your father did the thing he was supposed to do, even though, you know, it was under false pretenses, because Jack kind of, you know entrapped him into it um but she was like mad because she got it and the reality is is like well you you are you mad because like your father's dead yes but are you also mad because like you didn't get all the gears that you really wanted Mm -hmm. i don't know because it's not fully explained but you're alive now she's also kind of just dumped off there i mean that scene has a lot more to it than the the mermaid wrap-up scene but there's still an element of like closing off that part of the plot closing off that part of the plot yeah but also closed off in a way where it's not fully sealed so you could bring her back if you wanted to but they never do we need to get her out of here for now so she's on an island yes and you know jack can go do his thing yeah Uh, i guess talking about her in general i don't i like her i wish they let her do more yeah i don't have that much to say I, i don't think that she makes that much of an impression and it feels like she should. I mean, she makes more of an impression than Mermaid and Mermaid Man. But, <laughs> Merman. Um, Merman. Missionary. Yeah. Mermaid and missionary. Yeah. But she just... Um, well, like, you were, you were comparing the character type to some of the other characters, and she certainly feels like she is supposed to be various of those things. Yeah. But, yes, she isn't really quite any of those things, and she's fine. I, I think it's the sense that, like, she's introduced she's impersonating him it's like oh you know he knew her in the past and like you know now they have a sort of attention between them of course she's kind of tricking him yeah you get on the ship and it's like maybe she's actually the captain oh but she isn't no blackbird is really here and it's like she, and she's she lied his about daughter, being his daughter but she's not but she is yeah. and it's very hard at any given point to get a sense of like what is actually the role she's supposed to be playing and how are we supposed to feel about her? Like, is she a, is she a rascal, you know? Is yeah. she, like, more of a sincere character? Or somehow both at once? I feel like she's one of those people where she's essentially a con artist, and you meet her, and she reveals the con to you, but then you're never, you never spend enough time with her to be like, is this still the con, or is this yeah. part of something that you secretly really want? Well, even her ending scene, like, it's, it's really funny, them, two of them together. Yes. It somewhat feels like it, it also adds that confusion because there are definitely parts of the movie where she seems much more sincere. Yeah. And yet the end of the movie treats her more like her whole character has, like she is Jack Sparrow basically. Yeah. Like, you know, she's just like a a trickster and he's like, I've out-tricked you. I'm putting you on this island. And at a certain point you think a little bit like, oh, I thought we were supposed to care about her a little though yeah but the end of it kind of treats like no she's funny you know yeah, stir her on the island they literally yeah. treat it like a, a joke in the sense of like and i will like i will regardless of how you feel about how the scene is treated i laughed really hard at the music cue regardless if you're like oh man like they just like cut it off he won't kiss her he leaves oh that's really but funny. it makes me laugh yeah. every time because he's like nope 
gotta go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, it's played essentially as like, no, he's not going to be taken in by her tricks, which yes. works for some of the scenes earlier. But there's others where that doesn't really seem like the right characterization, I guess. Yeah. I I appreciate the idea of like we introduce her as, you know, impersonating. She's female Jack Sparrow here. Yeah. Um, and then at the end, you know, she gets abandoned on the island just like Jack Sparrow famously has been abandoned. Yes. In multiple movies, in fact. Yes. And uh like so the idea of that symmetry is fun. Yeah. Um I just think it doesn't completely match up with the rest of the movie necessarily. I also think um what makes Jack great in previous iterations is like you do see the mask fall and it mm. for him, like, you know, when he's talking to Elizabeth about how much the pearl means to him. Or when he, you know, has a moment at the very end of the first movie where, you know, he gets the pearl back and he's really happy and then he breaks and he, like, yells at the rest of the crew. He's like, get back to work. Yeah. And with with Angelica, you do, I mean, she is designed to be, like, the female Jack Sparrow mm-hmm. and foil him where they're both incredibly clever and constantly, like, trying to outdo each other. But you never see the mask fully break because you always think she's lying. Yeah. I mean, she doesn't get that, that Barbosa and Jack scene. No. That's for them. Uh, fundamentally when you get to the end the movie is more interested in the old characters yes. even though it's trying with the so new ones so hard with the new yeah i mean the ending scene only works at all because of past context like you would just think this is really harsh and terrible <laughs> from jack if you didn't know the joke is basically like she'll be fine yeah. she'll get off the island just like jack always gets off the island yes like it's a it's a they, joke that only even works because of that, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, it is also interesting. Uh, we didn't watch it, but I forgot to tell you because I remember seeing it. Um, there is a post-credit scene of her on the island, and a voodoo doll of Jack washes up on shore. She grabs it and grins, and that's it. I feel like I was watching the credits. We we didn't go through all the credits. I, don't think. I missed. Yeah. There you go. But that's well, well, like so that, saying, that also further seals yeah. the deal of a leaving it open and b being like, guys, she's gonna be fine. Yeah, and if this was an actual trilogy, you know, maybe she would just be back in the but fifth one. That's the weird one, is she's not. Yeah, it's well, like they made they did their little weird experiment in the fourth one, being like, let's introduce new characters and have it be like a one-off standoff Bond adventure, and she's basically the Bond girl, and she never comes yeah. back. But they've kind of built it up where, like, you know, we want to introduce new characters to this world as we generate a new franchise out of this, um, and but they, they don't bring anybody back from it. I will say um, like she doesn't ever appear in five and neither does scrum and those are like the only two i can think of and maybe that's the problem is like they did uh-huh. introduce new characters but either they weren't a big enough deal or they died or they just were like well there's we don't even know how to put them in another yeah. movie it's just it's just scrum isn't it yeah her yeah. and scrum Wait, i thought he was in the fifth one is he in the fifth one i think he might be oh my god i yeah. will take everything i said back then um, I mean, I'll check on it while we're talking about other yeah. things. Yeah, uh, but, but um, I, will, I will say, like, you don't get her back. You don't get William or Serena back. Um, and that's not, like, a complaint. It's just an observation of being, like, if you view the fourth one without seeing the fifth one as, like, this is a reboot to a new trilogy within the franchise, of, or, like, you know, just the beginnings of a new adventures with Jack Sparrow, it is kind of hard because, like, comparatively, you'd be like, oh, okay, so these people will probably show up in subsequent mm. sequels of this one. And it yeah. doesn't happen. So that's why it does feel kind of like the odd man out in the entire thing. Yeah, Scrum, Scrum is in the fifth one. I lie to you and, all. <laughs> well, I think, like, no one else 
Everyone else has a story that is related to the story in this movie. Yes. The story does not continue, so they're not relevant. Exactly. Scrum gets to be in the fifth one because Scrum is just new sidekick guy. Exactly. I mean, he has no investment in anything else going on. I mean, he doesn't really have much investment in this one either, to be completely honest. Well, that's he's what just, I mean. Yeah, like, he, he can be dropped and placed in any he's adventure. He's there to be there. Yeah, exactly. He's there because he, like, meets up with Jack and is kind of like, I guess, you know, I'll follow you. Yeah, exactly. Um. Oh, see, and that's the thing is... I just, it's a matter of like, oh, maybe I just don't remember the last two as well because I haven't seen them as much. But I'm like, I don't remember Scrum when he popped up in, in the fifth one. I mean, I remember I wasn't it. like, oh, it's the guy from the fourth one. I remember it because I didn't remember the fourth one. So to me, it was like, this is a new guy, which is why. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I remember. Maybe we're just bad audience members. Well, I didn't see the fourth, really. That's so. true. But um, um, yeah, it, it is interesting well, and it's hitting me that we must have watched the fourth one because the fifth one was coming out, probably, which is, I think that's the right time period. It is, yeah, it's yeah. around that time. Um, so I wanted to be prepared, but I was not prepared because I, I failed to watch it. Yeah, uh, and apparently still we weren't prepared for the podcast because I was like, oh, yeah, it's great. <laughs> like nobody shows up in the next one. That's not true. <laughs> well, since you, since you told me this, I'll say a shout out to Penelope and the people working on the film because yes. uh, I... Uh, I've been informed that she was pregnant. Yes. And yet I would not have known that yes. if you had not told me. Yes. It is a really uh, fun production thing of like, yes, she got cast. They're really excited. She found out she was pregnant. And so they had to redesign her costume to make it a little bit more elastic and kind of cheat it. But when it got to the point where she, you know, they couldn't really hide it and she was showing a lot more, um, they they cast her sister as like her, her stand-in hmm. double. and. So they had her for, like, the close-ups, but for the wide shots, it's her sister. And you must be thinking, like, oh, wow, that's really crazy, like, that they were able to get away with that. Look up her sister. Oh, my God, they look like twins. Like, thank God she has a sister, <laughs> because that actually worked really well in their favor. Such an asset. That's I know. An Another uh, fun behind-the-scenes thing that I we haven't touched on, because um, I noticed it while we were watching the credits, but clearly we didn't watch all the credits, because I forgot about the post credit scene with her. Um... This story, because I was wondering, why is this called On Stranger Tides? Because it, it doesn't yeah, really have a tie-in. Um, it's actually the story, um, the original screenwriters for the Pirates franchise worked on this one, and they based their story off of a pirate book that mm -hmm. came out in the 80s, and basically has Barbosa, has a daughter. Oh, they had Barbosa? Oh my gosh, no. I meant Blackbeard. <laughs> Blackbeard, not Barbosa. Blackbeard. Gotcha. And there is the Fountain of Youth. There is a pirate named Jack in it, but it's obviously not Jack Sparrow. And so they basically read this and they're like, wow, this would be a really great adventure for Jack Sparrow. But it's so intrinsically, what we want to do is so intrinsically tied to this book. So they got Disney to buy the rights to the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and so and it's basically like, this isn't an adaptation of the book because like Jack Sparrow isn't in the original book, obviously, because he wasn't invented in the 80s. But um, they basically took the book and converted it and threw Jack Sparrow and other elements into it, but obviously have to give credit to the yeah. story. I've heard and it's so quite different, it Ma is mainly because when, when I first read about it, um, yeah. some people were saying, oh, that's cool, they're adapting that book, that's a great book, um, and then when the movie came out, they were like, they did not adapt the book. Yeah, but <laughs> I think there were ele too many elements in there that it would have been like mm -hmm. a legal nightmare not to have been have bought the rights for it. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's interesting because, like you said, like we're we're grounding it. We're for this this installment, 
so much to the point where it's like we're looking at different source material besides obviously the rides and whatever we came up for two and three. They're like, what do we have next? Because it's always a fun little checklist and we'll see it obviously in the fifth one of like, all right, what like fun nautical themed, maritime themed, piratey, yeah. you know, tale of, of lore that we haven't delved into yet in this series that coming off of, you know, the original trilogy. It's like, well, we haven't dealt with mermaids haven't dealt with like Blackbeard or the Fountain of Youth and then later on it's like well we you know we never really did anything with like Poseidon and Tridents and stuff mm-hmm. so it is fun to kind of see like all right what are you guys going to do next um and how how are you going to spin it so it's exclusively like within the Pirates of the Caribbean world mm-hmm. um so it is it is always kind of fun to be like all right what's your next supernatural element that you're going to play with and and see how it comes to fruition um, because that is the thing about the pirate series is like, regardless of what elements work and don't work, it is always fun to see, okay, where do your ambitions lie and doing a twist on a very straightforward pirate adventure? And how does that land? Does it land? Is it some com- something completely different? Is it too bombastic? Is it too straightforward? Like yeah. there's a, there's a pirate's formula clearly in place that is diminishing returns, but it, it, it I think in hindsight looking as at the franchise as a whole it's really fun to kind of point out and pick and choose like this worked this was a this was a spin on what something we've already done didn't work as well like i think that's what makes the fourth one so interesting is to me and i don't want to sound like a jerk saying this but like literally it's the most forgettable of the ones to me because it's the one i've seen the least and just have a very vague memory of it and yet watching it i was like you know i could watch this one a couple times again and like really start to like appreciate it a little bit more than i initially would mm-hmm. that's not to say that i think everything that they're going for lands or delivers for me but i i could appreciate it more than i probably have in the past yeah um i mean the last thing i really wanted to say about it uh, was just that despite all the um complaining mm-hmm. I think the third act is pretty good. Yes. And, um, I mean, I just enjoyed it a lot. You know, I left the movie thinking that was fun because of how much I liked the final act. Yeah. And, um... That's always the case, I feel like, for... Yeah, I mean, it's true for most of them, but more noticeable this one just because there's sort of a big jump, in my opinion, and I guess before it was most noticeable in the third one, and that was just because there's so many moving parts that once they're finally together, you're like, oh, this is really exciting. And yes. this one is more just because the classic elements are sort of back in place by the end. And as soon as Barbosa and Jack basically meet up, everything from then on is working. It's so much sort of comfier and fun in the, in the way that I'm used to, I guess. I, I wrote a bunch of things about it. I mean, I like, like we said, them actually talking together is a great serious scene, um, but like the stuff around that is fun too. Them them escaping and biting people off together, just seeing them yeah. hanging out. Um, Jack and Gibbs being back together is also just very refreshing. Mm-hmm. Um, then, you know, after you already have that, they get to the um, the fountain to use, and like you were saying, I mean, it's just a fantastic set. It's, it's it a wonderful great. set. It's a really cool piece of production design that I don't think gets a lot of credit. As soon as they got in, I thought, like, wow, this movie just keeps getting better now. What yeah. What's happening? And, the, you know, that stuff was pretty successful. I think at, at that point, the only thing that really strikes the weird note is the the abrupt ending of the mermaid and missionary. Storyline, Michigan. yeah. Um, but all the stuff that's happening in the, the fountain that used cavern is really fun, and, you know, you get Barbosa fighting Blackbeard and then all the dramatic life and death swapping and 
a Spanish showing up, and it just has more of those elements that give it a lot of energy, basically. Yeah. And then after that, you get some fun ending scenes, and like Jack's ending scene with, with Gibbs, Gibbs is, is really nice. nice, and Barbosa's last scene is really nice, and it just leaves you feeling like, well, that wasn't the best movie ever, but essentially, I wouldn't mind seeing more because the end makes me they feel like, well, pirate adventures are actually rather, you know, rather charming. Like, perhaps they might make more of them mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. And uh, I liked that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of a, a mixed bag, but there are, you know, there are some gems in there that you, you should take into consideration when watching the fourth one. Um, and we will, you know, it'll be fun to compare that watching the fifth one and then seeing the franchise as a whole as opposed to, all right, here's one installment. How do we think of it as an individual movie? How do we think of it considering what came before it? And with the fifth one, it'll be really interesting because like we said, unless they're planning on making a sixth one, which, you know, you never know because it's definitely built up that Pretty way. Pretty sure they have like multiple different plans. Yeah. For a but sixth it, one. for now, like kind of like, you know, with our other podcasts with the Matrix where we're like, okay, they've 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 done 3. And then you're like, oh, they're going to do a fourth one. It'll be really interesting in retrospect to be like, all right, so this is where the series is ended so mm-hmm. far. This might not be the final end, it might be, but if we're going to treat this one as an end, what does it look like as a whole? So that'll be really fun to talk about with the context of this one for the next one. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I guess that's pretty much it. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about? I want to use your favorite character in Pirates 4. Uh, Barbosa. Barbosa. I like, I just, he He's just works. Great. Like I, I, I do a hundred percent agree with your assessment that like they definitely keep him tampered down a little bit. Mm-hmm. So he, you know, it's, it's basically, in my mind's eye, I'm like, oh, it's just, it's a long con, and so you get a really satisfying reveal at the end of him being like, fuck the, the Royal Navy, I'm back on pirate side, guys, it's great. Um, but, like I said, I've always found his scenes with Jack are always the most interesting scenes to me mm-hmm. in any franchise installment, so it's, I, I just love him. It's a good call, I think. Yeah. I suppose I could say Hammer. You know what? I'm going to say Gibbs. I do fucking I love, love Gibbs. Gibbs. He's an MVP. in literally every movie, has never faltered for me. Nope, not once. He has always given me the same happy feelings as the very first time uh, I saw him do that noose motion. Yeah, the opening yeah, scene the opening of the scene. first movie. I just think he's on point. We were just talking about how we can't remember if we've seen the actor in anything else, so we're I not sure. I firmly believe he just lives in the Pirates of the Caribbean world. If <laughs> yeah. he were to ever show up in anything else that I've seen, I think he probably I would has. Be so confused. But I just didn't, you know, notice because he didn't have his his Gibbs get up. Yeah. Um, so he's fun, and we already discussed. I think that our favorite scene was was mermaids, or at least it is mine. Yeah, I would say mermaids, and honestly, the the talk between uh, yeah, Jack and Barbosa and their whole sequence of them sneaking into the camp. And the best shot of the movie is probably just um, some random shot of the Fountain of Youth. I like the ending shot on the beach, honestly. What's the final? What is the... It's Jack and, and Gibbs walking, and yeah. Gibbs hauls the rest of the the bottled boats up. You know. And the sunset's going. That is a good... I forgot about that. Yeah, That's a good ending bit. Yeah. You know, I got the Black Pearl, and I also got a bunch of other... Yeah. <laughs> of other ships. Will that come into fruition in the next one? No, it will not. <laughs> we can't but be we expected didn't know that. to maintain continuity <laughs> or open the yeah. fifth movie with Jack at the head of the fleet. Oh, that'd be so dope. <laughs> That's what I want. 
All right. I think that's pretty much it. Yeah. So I will wrap up and sign off. This has been Vicky. This is Camden. And we will talk to you guys next time. Bye. Bye. If you guys liked our show, please let us know. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcast, And also feel free to contact us on our main website. That one is grumpyoctopusproductions.com. Then I'll link you up to all of our social media. You can follow us on Twitter and or like us on Facebook. And you can reach out to us at our email account. That is grumpyoctopusproductions at gmail.com. I think we're sensing a bit of a trend here. (laughs) Um, Also on the website, you guys can check out all of our episode and production notes and fun little extras as well. So, as always, thanks for listening, loyal listeners. Alrighty, signing off.